Hi there, this is Alexis. And I'm Christian. Welcome to Talk History to Me. This is our second episode on Eratosthenes. jump in here. Eratosthenes was born in Cyrene, Libya in 276 BC. He was a well-known scientist who dabbled in all areas of studies, including mathematics, geography, astronomy, and writing. It was because of his outreach and copious amounts of work that earned him his famous nicknames, Beta and Pentathlos. I hope I'm not totally butchering that. Beta is the second letter of the alphabet, which represented his lack of absolute accomplishment or lack of being an alpha in any one subject. There's a famous author of history of math named Thomas Heath, and he's quoted on saying, Eratosthenes was indeed recognized by his contemporaries as a man of great distinction in all branches of knowledge, though in each subject he just fell short of the highest place. On the latter ground, he was called Beta, and another nickname applied to him, Pentathalos has the same implication, representing as it does an all-around athlete who is not the first runner or wrestler, but took the second prize in all these contests as well as others. So is a pentathlos an athlete who's good at like multiple different things? Yeah, so it's actually a contestant who features in five different events. Right, right that makes sense. Uh, it was de- derived from the Greek, and it was actually part of the ancient Olympic Games. Okay, right on. So it just means he was good at a lot, but, but he was never the best at anything. Although he had these nicknames, Eratosthenes called himself Philologos, lover of learning. And it was this passion and well-roundedness that earned him his esteemed job of director of the Library of Alexandria, which you looked into a little bit, right? I did, so yeah. can you tell us a little something? something? Absolutely. So the Library of Alexandria uh, was founded sometime between 285 and... 246 BC, uh, after, so a little history real quick. After Alexander the Great died in 330 BC, he conquered loads of lands and to his lands of Egypt, he, his close friends or generals inherited these lands. So Ptolemy the first Soter inherited Egypt and became Ptolemy the savior of Egypt. Um, and he was a Pharaoh, right? Yeah, he was a Pharaoh. And he ruled and he created, uh, well, he didn't create Alexandria, but he founded Alexandria as the capital. And it was kind of a podunk city, relatively speaking. I mean, it wasn't as grand as it will be known as we were talking about it in the time of Eratosthenes. But it's on the delta of the River Nile, on the Mediterranean Sea, northwest of Cairo, and just across the Sea of Turkey. So if you go straight south of Greece, you'll miss it, but just a little bit further east in that's where Alexandria was hanging out. Okay. Anywho, quick thing about the Library of Alexandria, because I thought it was cool. So the, there's a philosopher, Demetrius, and he was kicked out of Athens. He was kicked out of the library there, and he got a little earworm into Ptolemy. I mean, I've been Ptolemy II at this time and said, hey, we should totally build a big library, make it the best one ever. I think there's a little bit of a jealousy thing going on there. 
And so he had this vision of a library which all the works of the world would be contained. And he just thought that would be like an awesome bank of knowledge. As the library got built, it was first a museum and they kind of had artifacts and then they built this library on the side. But as time went on, the library became the far more valuable thing to a point where there's alleged stories where all ships that landed in Alexandria were searched, their manuscripts were taken forcibly, even if it was your private stuff, and the Library of Alexandria would generate a copy and provide you the copy and they would keep the originals. So this place was like literally all about just any knowledge or works, just hoard it, like all of it, and just try to document it and study it. Spoiler, kind of fast forwarding through the history of the Library of Alexandria. 2000 years ago, it's burned down and no remains of it have been found today. Similarly, and we'll probably get into it, but Eratosthenes works, like very few of his originals exist, if any. And so a lot of these things that we tell you are uh, stories of it. While Eratosthenes was still kicking and he was the director of Alexandria, he had a the great part. Well, yeah, the library. Uh, the library of Alexandria, might be. But, um, so do you know his age around this time? 40, roughly, or right on the dot. That's right, he became, he was uh, appointed by Ptolemy. He said, you know what, you're such a great philosopher, you could be director of Ale the library of Alexandria. Anyway, he played a really big part in uh, chronology. And so in his chronographia, he discovered the actual siege of Troy. So he kind of dated events back then. He looked at all the paperwork that he had at his things. And he said, if this happened then, and this happened then, the siege of Troy had to have happened sometime in 1994 to 1184 BC. Um, and that's actually accurate with today's time frame of what we think happened. He's also just kind of rattling off things. We'll go into more of these studies as it goes on. But in terms of his history and time stuff, he was also the one who proposed a leap day be added to every four years to the calendar. Another reason he was famous was because he was the first person to accurately be able to explain why the Nile River flooded every year. So during the rainy season, a heavy downpour falls near the foundation of the river, and the result is the annual flood in Egypt. So while he was director at this library, which thank you for telling us a little bit about, obviously all these scrolls and works were sent to the library by a lot of great, impressive, interesting people, maybe not even that interesting, but they're all sent there. And before cataloging them, he actually read them all. Although he became well-versed in others' works and subjects, he actually made quite a few noteworthy accomplishments himself. Sorry to go into some of his like chronology stuff of just saying, oh, this happened then, this happened then. But another one of his most distinguished discoveries was probably finding- his most. Probably his most. Was finding a pretty accurate value for the circumference of the earth. Modern scientists say his error lies between 0.5 and 17%, which is a big swing, but it's because the unit that he used, they used at the time, was the stadia, and the modern interpretation of that unit it has like varying accounts of what that could have meant. Or it was at, even at the time, maybe the, it wasn't all standardized like things are today. So he noticed that the sun's rays fell at noon one day a year, the summer solstice, directly down a vertical well in the town of... Sayini. So hearing these accounts, you heard that the columns were, showed no shadows, they would just be like perfect columns, no things, the shadows would decrease to nothing. And like these wells where it'd be very difficult to see down to the very bottom of a well back in these times, not like he had a flashlight, but during this one time of the year, you could see straight to the very bottom. So he knew that in this town of Sayini, that was happening and he thought that was very interesting, but it was not the case in Alexandria at the time. To his curiosity, he took a stick called a gnomon and he watched the shadow on the day of the summer solstice and measured the length of a shadow at noon. Using the length of this shadow and the height of the stick, he was able to calculate the angle between the gnomon 
and the direction of the sun's rays. He measured the angle to be 1 50th of a circle, roughly 7.2 degrees. And a little fun fact, since the Greeks actually didn't use the unit degrees at the time, because it was a Babylonian unit of measure, he actually just called it a 50th of a circle. Right on. I like that. Just a... He correctly assumed that the sun must be a large distance away from the earth. So then if you think about this measurement as well, if you think about it, at Syene, all he has to do is know that there's no shadow there, and he doesn't have to be there to take the measurement. All he has to do is be chilling in Alexandria, where he already is, and just say, oh, let me go outside today, look at it. All right. So with that measurement, he assumes that the sun's rays must be coming at the earth parallel, basically saying that the sun should be far enough away where it's not like a light bulb in your house. It's got to be so far away that it's all hitting you straight on, roughly speaking, I mean, close enough. And he knew the distance from Syene and Southeast Alexandria to be about 5,000 stadia. About how many miles is 5,000 stadia? It's roughly 1,000 kilometers or 620 miles. So he assumed the value to be 250,000 stadia. So Eratosthenes took the distance of 5,000, multiplied it by 50 to attain the value of 250. So essentially he knew the distance was 5,000. He knew his point was, well, I've only made it 150th across this bad boy. So multiply those two, 250,000. So he said 46,250 kilometers. And the actual circumference of the Earth is 40,000 kilometers. So that's, that's pretty spang on, you know, bang on, spang on? <laughs> that's pretty bang on. Um, and again, it depends on how you interpret a stat. Yeah. But whatever. Close enough for my book. I mean, that sounds pretty dope. Yeah, I mean, like literally, the error is pretty small. Obviously, we just went over it. Aristophanes' calculations were very accurate, especially compared to other attempts made by other scientists and mathematicians. He obviously wasn't the first person to try this, but he was by far one of the most accurate. Uh, for example, scientist Ptolemy. Different Ptolemy than uh, who was mentioned before. This guy was not a pharaoh, just a mathematician. He attempted finding the circumference, but he was quite far from the actual value. In fun fact, when Columbus set sail for India, he used the maps made by Ptolemy, which led him astray. And that's when he accidentally landed in North America. Had he used Eratosthenes' maps, he would have avoided the continent. And that could have really altered just history in general. So jumping in here between, and you're going to get into some of the, the map making and all that goodness, but yeah. between the measurement that he just took and the maps that he will make, uh, the Greeks at this time in some odd 200 something BC, they knew the earth was round. I mean, this wasn't like his discovery wasn't to say maybe the earth might be spherical and I'm going to blow the tops off of everybody. I mean, he knew that assumption and he just said, well, if this is 150th of a circle, how big is this circle? Yeah, at this point, the Greeks all knew the earth wasn't flat. It wasn't something that was being debated or questioned at the time. Which is cool. Anywho, Eratosthenes also determined that the earth had an imaginary axis that struck through the earth from the north to the south uh, through the center and that the earth rotated once a day around this axis. Knowing this, he was able to calculate the angle of the tilt of the earth's axis. So I believe this is said to be 23 degrees, 51 hours, 15 minutes. So that's kind yeah. of the great, you know, increasing degrees of fidelity. Which and is also very, very accurate. Along with calculating the tilt and the circumference, he had the intellect to produce the first map of the world using meridian lines and parallel lines, which are equivalent to today's longitudinal and latitudinal lines. He was able to mark the equator and its size, along with the size of the polar zones and the tropic zones. 
So essentially, he figured all the shit out. Like, he was able to make a globe, make a map, and we still use the same things that he did back then, uh, which I think is pretty impressive. With all this knowledge, he actually fashioned the subject of geography. Geo, obviously, was Greek for Earth, and graphy meant field of study. So he was the first one to use this subject because no one before him had ever gone into such depth about this subject before. And he comprised all of these works of geography into his treatise, which he probed deeply into the subject of temperature and weather as well. So I got, I got two fun facts, actually, real, real quick. So one, so <laughs> I... Talk I, history to me. Hey, so what I just talked about was is regarded as his chronographia, where he took dates and times and was like, hang on, if you said that happened 50 years ago, but this guy said it happened, whatever, and kind of make a, an account of history, what happened. With the earth and the axis and all that good, kind of good stuff. He actually took these two things, and in his geography, he also takes accounts of reports of different travelers who describe different physical features of land. So like if you said, oh, you came from here, and there was a, what kind of mountain range or what kind of river there, he would account all these things and be like, well, this place is kind of river, it has this kind of stuff. But he also accounted for natural phenomenon, such as fire, earthquakes, and volcanic eruptions. It's just very insightful of him, and it's a really thorough way to look at a subject, not just blowing by it and being like, yeah, volcanoes are crazy. You know, like yeah. he, he wants to know and have it be known. Anywho, uh, the other fun fact, he's a friend of Archimedes, and there's a, there's a letter from Archimedes to Eratosthenes, and it's called The Method. And in this method, it says, hey, this is paraphrasing, <laughs> but it's like, hey, man, I know you're smart, and I know you like teaching things. This is a way that you can measure the natural world and it's proving mathematical concepts by taking physical measurements and like going out there. And so kind of like this whole thing that we talked about where like sticking the stick in the ground and saying one fiftieth of a circle. It's kind of this whole thing that him and Archimedes apparently trade traded knowledge and they kind of built each other up, which is a fun fact as well, I thought. Unrelated to geography, he was renowned as well for his problem solving method of finding prime numbers rationally and systematically. This method is referred to as the sieve of Eratosthenes. Prime numbers are numbers that have no factors other than themselves and the number one. So there are infinitely many of these numbers, as proven by Euclid. Which we will totally do an episode on. Absolutely. Again, I hope we just do mathematicians in general. Hopefully we'll also do our cat and dog, Patty and Einstein. But So this method is rather simple and very easy to follow. So let's just look at 1 through 10 as an example. You start off and you just go from low numbers to high numbers. You look at 1, you remove 1 because 1 is not a prime number. Okay. Then you go to 2 and... Two is prime, so what you do is you remove every second number, keeping two, right? Yes. Um, so that's right, yeah, so every number after, so four, six, eight, ten are gone from this number line. So now you're looking at two, three, five, seven, nine. Which makes sense, because if two's prime, all the multiples of it, they're not gonna fly, right? They ain't gonna count. So move on to the next number, because you've already eliminated all the multiples of two. You're looking at three, is three prime? It is. So. Now, you do the same thing that you did with two. You remove every third number, though, keeping three, of course. So the intervals of three are gone. So now, you're looking at two, three, five, seven. And essentially, that was a number line of 10. You could do a number line of 10 billion and do this process. It'd be tedious <laughs> as all get out. You could do this with a number line, no matter how big. Even if it's tedious, the beauty of this method is that it is true. And that's massive value added to math. So those are kind of Eratosthenes' claims to fame, uh, the things that he'll be big for when you Google him. Uh, author Ken Jennings said, Eratosthenes, the map maker who was the first man to accurately measure the size of the earth, was a librarian. 
So it just kind of goes to show that he was a really smart man who had a very unique way of looking at things, and he studied, and he learned, and he was very curious. He saw things differently than most people, and that included like the actual people living on Earth. <laughs> uh, the commonly held opinion at the time was that a person could be placed into two separate categories. You were either Greek or you were a barbarian. And Aristophanes was like, nah, he rejected this view and believed that each individual should be judged based on who they are, like for the good and bad qualities of each person. His overall way of thinking showed that he was willing to extend his knowledge of things that weren't necessarily tangible and try to make sense of them. Although he may not be the best at any one subject, he definitely contributed to society in very significant ways. And unfortunately, around the age of 80, he became blind, and because he could no longer continue his studies and work, he committed suicide by starvation. So impressive. Yeah, it takes some kind of willpower. I can't even go from like breakfast to lunch without a snack. <laughs> <laughs> and this man was like, this is the end for me. But, I mean, 80 is pretty old for folks, right? Yeah, even back then. but the food couldn't have been as good. Yeah, exactly. He didn't have as nice <laughs> snacks as we have, otherwise that he would have stayed true. alive. But no, but it was like a life well, he was extremely well accomplished, and you're not doing the yeah. thing that you love. Like literally reading and learning was his thing. And yeah. you can't see shadows and read scrolls if you're blind. So. There you go. Uh, he was an intelligent and ambitious man. And was never just satisfied with learning one area of expertise. And that's our story about Eratosthenes. Just a quick kind of footnote is allegedly one of his only surviving works is a works on constellations. But his credit to that is debated. But the, I guess the point I'm just trying to say is that there's even more out there that could have been credited to him. And again, all of his works are lost. But there's a lot of writings. Like, this guy contributed to all fields. Didn't he, like, name and describe the constellations? Yeah, yeah. And counted the stars within them and all that kind of stuff. I mean, yeah. he just basically... But that's not yeah. totally attributed to him, so don't right. run away Kind of debatable. That. But yeah. his works were numerous, and he tried to document and record yeah. and learn about He literally things. made a field of study, and then he, like was well-versed in other ones. Yeah. So, he was a very impressive guy. More accomplished than I am, right? I mean, I don't know if it's fair to call him beta, but whatever. Yeah. I'm not a hater. So we can call him the one that I struggle to pronounce, the Theologos? Yeah. No. Well, yeah, that's, he's a little... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyhow, so that's our episode on Eratosthenes. I hope y'all enjoyed. Sayonara, bitches. <laughs> I thought you were going to say something... Our intro song is Talk To Me by Hank Honey. He is absolutely incredible. Be sure to look him up on social media or listen to him on Spotify, Google Play, Apple Music, or wherever you listen to music.